the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Welcome to The Common Good, friends. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. The show all about diving into the mess, the gray, the tension. We know that life doesn't often wrap up with a nice bow on top, so we want to talk about it. Rather than shying away from these stories, these realities that a lot of us live in, we want to we want to lean in, see if there's maybe some stuff that we have in common, but also to, to kind of help elevate just common life, the space that most of us sort of live in seven days a week most of the time. We don't usually live on a mountaintop. We're usually just sort of living in an ordinary life. How do we engage with this stuff? And so we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show, or you can also go to 1160hope.com. All the previous shows are there. You can get us podcasted. Uh, If you have time and an interest, we'd love for you to leave a review. Hopefully leave a good rating. That stuff actually helps us out a lot. But uh, we would love to interact with you guys in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, happy Monday or Wednesday, <laughs> man! Happy Wednesday, and it is—it's uh, good to be back, and it's good to be in the studio with you. With uh, after you had the baby and be around, feels like life's getting a little more normal for you now. Is it getting more? Am I the one with the baby? You just said it was Monday. <laughs> did I mention my wife's out of town this <laughs> week, and I'm trying did. to drive my three kids everywhere? I'm like show. I'm a radio host, pastor, and chauffeur this week, oh, and so do you wear a little hat when you drive oh around? Is that goodness? I. I don't feel like my kids are overly uh, my kids are overly scheduled, but until this week, and it's like oh, but tonight I get to go to my daughter's uh, I get to go to her choir concert, so that's always fun oh, to be the awesome. dad at the choir concert this Friday. My youngest daughter and I have daddy daughter dance, so that's awesome. being a dad's awesome, but uh, being a chauffeur can be a bit taxing at times. Do you feel the added weight of their schedule and demands with your wife out of town? Oh my gosh, really? I I don't know if something specific hit this week. Uh, but it feels like it, it's a daily puzzle. And my kids don't even do that much, but it's just a daily puzzle. We joked about this the other day, but those of you who are navigating this life of of kids as single parents, like yeah. Nobel Prize to you or no something, because no it kidding. is something. You get, it takes a village to get these kids and to, and to love on them and to, to get them to where they need to be. So well, love being a dad, but man, this week has been... <laughs> I'm ready for my wife to tell, come home. Tell me about it. My, my son's—he's two weeks old, and uh, he already the schedule's filling up. Man, he's got <laughs> appointments and games and theater, and no, it's been great because uh, my eldest is uh, 15 months. Yep. We just had uh, our second, and uh, my wife's mom has been around helping out a ton. My mom drove in from Detroit and was with us for a couple of days, and she's just oh, been fun. a tremendous help in helping like take care of the kids and all that. So there's always I, that weird part where like after you have a baby and everyone's in town to help, and then when they all leave, and you're like, "Oh, oh real life now." 
Yeah, no kidding. Tell me about it. Time for life. Well, there's a a story from uh, NBC that I found absolutely fascinating for uh, a number of reasons. I'm Mm -hmm. just going to read you the headline and then just the first sentence. It says, life under ISIS led these Muslims to Christianity. Wow. The quote is, uh, if heaven is made for ISIS and their beliefs, said one convert, I would choose hell for myself instead of being again with them in the same place, even if it's paradise. And the story goes on to talk about how life under ISIS um, actually became like the driving force for these Muslims to see Christianity for what it really is, mm-hmm. to see Jesus for who he really is. And I, I just I find the story absolutely fascinating. Yeah, and at the end he says, the guy says, it didn't take me long to discover that Christianity was the religion I was searching for. And it's fascinating because I think from the outside we look at ISIS and we look at the brutality and they're doing it in the name of religion. You always do think about like, does everybody believe that? Right. Like, is this everybody? Right. And this article, it makes it very clear that people in the in a hotbed for ISIS, right, in Syria, in the Syrian-Turkish border, uh, some of them are saying, you know what, I don't want to be a Muslim anymore if this is what it is. Their God is not my God. Wow. Uh, it, that's powerful stuff. It's an open door. Like, converting there, you're, it's kind of early church feel of, like, putting your life in danger. There's missionaries right. there. Um, it, it is. It is crazy. And so... Uh, praise God that that the worst of the worst is helping opening the door to the gospel. Um, on another front, I start I read this and I'm like, when I read quotes of like, man, looking at them, I don't want their God. Uh, in a much different way, how many times in our culture do people say that about us, about yeah, the church, right. or about Christians? Like, I don't, don't care what you're saying about Jesus. If Jesus is reflected in those people. I don't want it. That's also really convicting. Isn't that a Gandhi quote where he says, I, I like your Christ. I just don't like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ, yeah. which is, you know, that's that's all riddled with all sorts of layers yep. as well coming from yep. Gandhi. But I, I think, too, this story hits particularly close to home for me because, as you know, I'm from Dearborn, Michigan. Mm-hmm. And uh, Dearborn, at least for a long time, had the largest Middle Eastern population per capita in the world outside of the Middle East. Is that and right? It's true. I don't yeah. know if that's true anymore, but there there was a phrase called Dearbornization named after my town. And uh, so this is uh, a reality that I, I've wrestled with that's been very close to home for me for, oh. a, for a long, long time, um, even to the point where our, our little church in Dearborn, Fairland Alliance Church, um, had uh, an Arabic service, an Arabic pastor as well. And um, we had a number of people that wow. uh, just had a heartbeat for the Muslim community in Dearborn. And I'd seen just like faithful uh, long-suffering and patient service to the Muslim community uh, in Dearborn, Michigan, just in our little church there. And it's been, to me, uh, you know, some of my, my dear friends growing up um, were raised in various different forms of uh, Muslim faith. And it was, it's been fascinating to me to see even some of their reactions to some of the stuff in the news. I remember even when, when ISIS, you know, kind of really picked up steam a few yep. years ago, uh, I asked our office administrator to, to get me um, coffee appointments with, with any Muslim leader in town that would have me. And I just started having coffee with these leaders. Like, what what wow. is it that's happening in the news? And what's it like? Um, and their stories were, like, really, really heartbreaking. And it was amazing how many of those people um, mentioned over and over again how compelled they were by Jesus and seeing the life and ministry of Jesus and who he was. And wow. I don't know. Like, this story to me is is really fascinating, too, because it's it's under this oppression that they, like, really got the gospel, yeah. right? And we were talking the other day about, in a lot of ways, our vice now is ease. Yeah. The thing that's the thing that's really toxic sometimes, I think, for the Western church is just how easy we have it and that these people are meeting the real Jesus in the most unthinkable circumstances. I wonder if there's something to that, you know? And 
for especially since 9-11, we, we all think, not we all, a lot of times we think in the black and white terms of like all Muslims are the enemy. And that's been one of the worst things about moves in our culture. I think 9-11 certainly spurred that on. Yeah. And I think what this article reminds us of, what the story you just shared reminds us of, or even here missionaries, man, they, they say there is like a widespread conversions in the Muslim world going on through through God showing up in dreams. Yeah, right. And right. revealing himself in Christ in dreams. And yes. you're just like, that is unbelievable. And I think what an article like this reminds me of and this conversation reminds me of is I spend zero time of my life praying for wow. you know the Muslim world and that God would that the gospel of Jesus Christ would start to get a get a foothold and yes. start to push through. I think this above anything when I read this it reminds me gosh like I need to be praying for these people. That's right. I need to be praying for the missionaries who are on the front like literally on the front lines yeah. there. These people are putting their lives uh, at stake, and we need to be people supporting them. And as Christ followers over here in America, we need to be praying that God would do a, a huge kingdom work in the yeah. Muslim world. Yeah, and even in our own backyard as Absolutely. well, right? And I think anything that those coffees taught me, and maybe I'll share more about that later, but that, would be that, cool that has been such a reminder to me that man, God is up to something even in our own backyard, even in our midst, and that my world is not the world. And yes. to also think you know, at a, at a global level, that's that's a great challenge, man. Well, coming up next, we're going to talk about the gospel of Zuckerberg, the gospel of Zuckerberg, and uh, all the complexities found there within on The Common Good right here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. I'm not even sure what that no. music is, but I like it. Caught me by surprise. It really did. That's some impressive clapping right there. My goodness. Well, welcome to The Common Good. My I'm picturing name is... that it's cups. I'm picturing cups. Oh, you want to stick on the music thing? Yeah. And then... <laughs> Sorry. Any other observations? <laughs> welcome to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm, a show all about diving into the mess, the gray, the tense, the stuff that doesn't have easy answers, or the stuff that maybe we think has easy answers, but when we lean in, we realize things are, are more complex than maybe they, they seemed otherwise. So for us, we want to be about uh, entering into that, not mm. shying away from it. And uh, I've really enjoyed... The process even of you and I disagreeing on stuff and not always tying everything up with a nice bow. Sometimes we end and we still have more questions than answers, yeah. which is real life. That's where a lot of us live. And so we'd love to engage with you as well. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show or at 1160hope.com. All the previous shows are there. You can podcast us on whatever platform works for you. And as I mentioned, the, the story I want to talk about uh, is this idea of the gospel of Mark Zuckerberg. The Gospel of Mark Zuckerberg. It's a story from Christianity Today, and the uh, the subheading says, Facebook and others have started to imitate but can't replace church community, mm. or so it thinks. It opens this way. It says, uh, from the late 1980s, many churches made the decision to run like businesses, and now, in a surprising twist, today our businesses are running like churches. Mm. Which is such a, that's such a fascinating juxtaposition really to me that this shift, particularly in the last few years, has, has happened that businesses now are running like churches. In fact, uh, Mark Zuckerberg made the comment that um, in the face of declining church membership, he suggested that Facebook could now actually fill that void that's been left behind. What what, what do you think about that? It it screams to the need that everybody, not just Christians, feel for community, for meaningful community to be connected to others. Uh, And it's, it's challenging because this this article is suggesting that the church is not doing an effective job mm. uh, being what the church is supposed to be, being right. a place where people know other people and can be known. Uh, and and it, 
I'd encourage you to look it up on Christianity Today, and they've kind of put this up there because Facebook is turning 15 years old, and so they're kind of saying what's what's been its impact on us. But it also brings up things like CrossFit, uh, yoga classes, (laughs) and SoulCycle, and other things that – where it's not just I'm going to go do this for myself, but there seems to be communities building around Mm. these things uh, that people are no longer necessarily looking to traditional places where they used to look for community, one of them being the church – but are instead looking online, hmm. are looking uh, to other um, areas of interest, right, like CrossFit or yeah, whatever. Right. Uh, and that's where they're finding their community. And Zuckerberg is saying, hey, Facebook can fill this void and come in and give people a place to belong, wow. a place to be known, uh, a place to find that community. And I think you and I as pastors would say, no, it can't do that. But the church clearly is missing something and needs to be doing a better job uh, at what it ultimately has been called to. Well, and I think there's a balance there too, right? Because so we we uh, we stream one of our services every weekend mm-hmm. on Facebook, and that's had uh, an incredible impact. I think particularly for people who are like, man, my kid's been sick, or yeah. I'm out of town, and we often you know will encourage people, man, make use of this resource, but th- don't let this yep. replace like communal time, like time together. In fact, later in the story, it says in 2000, Harvard professor uh, Robert Putnam first noted the collapse of civic engagement in American society since the 1960s, fewer Americans have been investing in social capital, that is, the rich communal connections made by going to church, having family dinners, hosting friends at parties, and participating in organizations or political activities. So this isn't even like a like a recent decline. He's saying since the 60s, we've been participating less and less in this sort of like communal, like person on person, like really, truly doing life together. And I, I've certainly felt the weight of that. In fact, you, you noted this a couple of days ago. You could tell that we were like locked up in our house during the polar yep. vortex because I was posting constantly. And I was thinking about what you said that, yeah, I was feeling this like lack of connection. <laughs> so you just sort of throw these things out online and the subtext is like, someone please respond. Someone, yeah. it is. Is anybody out there? Right, anybody. <laughs> and it's, uh, maybe you felt the same way, that when you feel disconnected, we like run to these platforms that, again, I don't think are evil at all, but like right. can't replace like having someone over for dinner and enjoying a good steak together yeah. or like going to an activity with a group of friends. Like that, I, I, don't, I don't know that there will ever, ever be an adequate replacement for that. And uh, this article says this. It's another way of saying what you and I say often on this show. The church is not the building. It is the people who populate it. Yeah, right, uh, right. And so, but it makes me wonder, like, why is this void being felt uh, that that Zuckerberg and others seem to be saying the church isn't filling? Yeah. Um, because if people have this perceived need for community, and that's one of the hallmarks of the church, but people aren't finding that in the church— do you have any insights as to what is the church not doing that maybe it was called to do? Like, why is the church missing here? Yeah, to me, I always want to be careful to make broad generalizations about what the church is doing or not doing. Because every time that I do, I think, man, maybe a couple of us are missing this, but the vast majority aren't. Or This is just my limited, tiny experience. But I, I think one of the things that um, Facebook does provide that people are craving is at least the illusion of non-judgment. Like, yeah. there's no... You just get to be a part of it, and you can join whatever. In fact, the story talks about um, improving their algorithms to suggest groups that would particularly um, appeal to your demographic or the things that you've clicked like on. Like, there's certainly some creepiness to that, like how it's able to curate those things. But it breaks my heart every time I hear a story of somebody who who got the courage to actually attend a church service and just felt so 
judged or mm-hmm. unwelcomed or like they were clearly the odd man out or the new person that didn't know where things were. There's these subtle ways, even like with signage or the way that we speak in terms that someone that maybe doesn't have a church background would have no, no. idea what that means. Like there are really subtle ways I think that people end up feeling not a part of the of the group. And for me, I've been going to church since I was seven. So yeah. I'm blind to a lot of that, like language that's familiar to me. This is why I think it's really is important for us to always be mindful of not um, not perpetuating a holy huddle. Yeah. Like, who are the people that you're hanging out with, that you're spending time with, that don't care at all that you're a pastor yep. or you're a Christian? Like, I think that helps open our eyes to the ways that we can be more welcoming in our gathering. But that's hard. That's hard to do. I think as Christians too, we can see this as opportunity. This isn't like a shake your fist and go Facebook's right. bad totally, and totally. CrossFit's bad. No, they're awesome. Um, th- we should see this as opportunity. That, that the people in your church, but also the people in your neighborhood, sociologists are telling us they're looking for meaningful community. So not mm. just, you know, shallow community. They're looking to be known and to know other people. And in our connected culture, it's actually harder to find that. And then we've got something. We've got the gospel, yep. which is the, as deeply um, connecting as we could be, right? You, It crosses racial bounds and socioeconomic bounds and all these things that we can say, wow, uh, we've got the gospel and people are looking for community. The man, a huge open door for us as Christians and for the church to say, hey, we've got something that you're looking for uh, that's not, you know, it doesn't have to replace CrossFit or Facebook, but it's something deeper and let me introduce you to it. Totally. I think think this hits the nail on the head right here. In in 2015, uh, Harvard conducted a study called How We Gather. And they found that religious nuns, the people that don't identify, not N-U-N-N-O-N-E-S, <laughs> religious nuns that don't identify with any religious affiliation, especially millennials, have not evolved out of their spiritual or religious longings. They are simply seeking to fill them in other places. Over mm. a third of millennials, significantly more than any other group, have no religious affiliation. And the assumption is, the assertion is, um, it's not that they're not religious, that they're not interested in spiritual things. They're just seeking to fill those longings in places in people other than the church, which mm-hmm. as pastors, you and I, uh, that both means something to us. Yes. I think that, well, this is a really important conversation. This is one that uh, I can't stop thinking about, but I think it's important for us to keep in the forefront coming up next though. We're going to talk about this obsession with achievement. Mm-hmm. What is, what is obsessing over achievement and accomplishing um, due to us personally, but what does it do to us collectively? What does it do to us socially? So that's uh, that's coming up next on The Common Good right here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm. I am joined again by my co-host Ian Simpkins. Uh, if you want to stay connected to us, you could do so at Facebook at uh, The Common Good Radio Show, The Common Good Radio Show, or online at 1160hope.com. There you can find old shows. Uh, but really, one of, the, one of our driving forces here is we'd love to interact with you, find new ways to talk to you, have you part of the process. Uh, again, I'm the lead pastor at Four Corners Community Church, and Ian is the uh, teaching pastor at Community Christian Church in Naperville, otherwise known as the Yellow Box. That's right. So, Ian, we came across uh, a story at the Gospel Coalition. They were talking about a movie uh, called Free Solo. And uh, the headline is this. It caught both of our eyes. It says, Achieve or Die. I was like, well, that sounds like how a lot of us live. (laughs) And the basic premise, and you could help us out with this, is the movie uh, about Alex Honnold 
uh, clinging to his fingertips at the side of a 3,000-foot precipice at El Capitan in Yosemite National Park. And basically that this, he was either going to make this climb or he was willing to die for it. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. Are you an outdoorsman? Because I am not an outdoorsman. There is nothing about this that, that gets me uh, that gets me excited. I, I mean, honestly, I wish everyone could see the photo right now because it's, like, making me queasy just sitting here. I, and I think you can be an outdoorsman and not, and not be okay with yes. this idea of a free climb. <laughs> yes. It is terrifying. And so the point, the, the, the author in the Gospel Coalition here takes it from that movie to uh, kind of the concept of uh, the – the idea of achievement within our culture, and then what are the things that we need to achieve and want to achieve that we'd be willing to die for? So take it first from there and kind of our drive for achievement. Like for most of us, we would look at this guy and say, this is crazy that he would be willing to uh, to put his life on the line to even try to achieve this kind of random thing of climbing this mountain. But for him, it was it was all about his life. Talk to us a little bit about just the drive of achievement that many of us feel, whether it's climbing a mountain or climbing the corporate ladder. Yeah, I think this this quote says it all. It, uh, it says, our performance culture gives us permission to clap and cheer for this man's self-described pursuit of perfection, even while his relationships suffer Ooh. as collateral damage. And I thought, man, you don't have to be a free climber to to understand whether that's uh, you or you've been on the receiving end of that. I, I'll be, you know, really honest and vulnerable. That that preaches to me, you yeah. know, like in our line of work as pastors, I think a lot of times it's easy to cheer like the overexhausted pastor because wow, look at all these, look at all he's doing, look at how packed his schedule is, look at all the stuff that he's accomplishing, and then you like talk to his family yes. or his closest friends. And a lot of them are like, yeah, we're, yeah, we're, we're proud of him. We also haven't seen him in three days or, yeah. you know what I mean? Like what is the trade off from this sort of borderline, sometimes not borderline obsessive accomplishment driven pursuit, which again is the thing that we celebrate. And I'm not knocking, you know, drive and passion and fire. I think those things are actually really important. Not just because I think you and I are maybe wired that way, but, but looking at you know the last two words of that quote, what, what's the collateral damage then sometimes of our pursuits, even our good pursuits? Because it's easy to point at like addiction and like, wow, this guy's yeah, you know, he's uh, his marriage is unraveling. He hasn't seen his kids because he's addicted to this thing. But we we very rarely talk about what's the collateral damage of of this other good stuff you're doing, and I think that becomes a lot messier of a conversation because we we sometimes exactly as the article kind of describe it we we cheer we cheer this type of pursuit on and don't even ask the questions about what's going on behind the scenes and i think that's a really important thing for us to learn to do and you bring a good point because i used to struggle i remember um you know billy graham billy graham being basically america's pastor in his yeah, I've day. Heard of him. yeah and we've all heard of him right and uh in, and when he died with all the retrospectives that went on, I don't know, was that just like a year ago? And everything about Billy Graham I respect. And But the one part I always had a problem with, but I didn't know if I should have a problem with it at all, was all the stories about in the 50s and the 60s when he would go and do these festivals and he would leave his family for months at a time when he had mm. little kids. Yeah, And I remember feeling like, is that good? Like, right. Was that the right choice? I would have been fascinated to know. Maybe he spoke on that at some point. Uh, but man, he was seeing souls saved and the kingdom move forward. Like he was, of all the people who could say I was doing things for Jesus, it was Billy Graham. Uh, but yet you would hear his kids lament, like I never saw my dad for months right. at a time. Uh, sometimes it was like six months because it wasn't like the same culture we live in now. 
And I never quite knew, I, I don't feel like I ever got to the point where I was able to get my mind around that about whether that was a good thing or a bad thing. Yeah, and I, I think I've shared before the, the story of Craig Grishel, you know, early um, in his church planning career, tucking in his daughter one night. And, uh, you know, sh- sh- her last words to him um, before she went to sleep was, uh, are you going home now, Daddy? And he's like, what are you talking about? I, I am home. And she said, no, I thought that the church was your home. <laughs> And that was so convicting to him. Yeah. She wasn't being snarky. This was just the perception of his four-year-old daughter. Like, okay, well, that's that's you live over there, though, right? You don't live here. She had this this really honest bluntness, which kids have a way of doing, right? They don't know that it's like socially unacceptable to you know call these things out. And like he, he mentions, I think he actually writes this in a couple of his books that that for him was like a wa- like a wake up moment. Like, even though I wholeheartedly believe in this good thing I'm doing. Uh, my daughter thinks I live at the church, not at my home. Mm-hmm. And we're not, I don't think uh, most of us are usually blessed with that type of clarifying moment, which for me necessitates even more like taking on a stock of the, the relationships closest to us that are suffering, which doesn't mean that there isn't for a time, you know, right. I have friends who are professional musicians who tour. And so this, the family does have to like really suffer through three weeks of dad being gone, but then he's got three weeks of being home and he makes the most of that. I'm not knocking your family rhythms or the yep. way that, you know, the dynamics of your marriage work, but it is worth asking, uh, you know, in this like hyper achievement culture, it's easy to prioritize passions while relationships suffer. And you, you got to ask the question, right? Maybe we can ask this of ourselves. What, what obsessions are driving a wedge between me and the people that I love the most? Yep. Because those are the ones that we, I know we often say, well, because I know they're not going anywhere or they'll forgive me. They, they often are the ones that suffer the most because we can take them from granted and, and because they're maybe not, it hasn't reached critical mass yet. We haven't hit rock bottom yet. So we sort of maintain that this, this clip that's not totally toxic, but it's also not the healthiest version of uh, Ian as dad or Ian as husband. Yeah. And that, that's, a, that's worth taking honest stock consistently, I think. Man, it would be really interesting to ask that question to our spouses. Maybe you should do that first. What obsessions yeah, right. drive no away? kidding. Like to get them to answer it, or maybe even our children. My kids are old enough to be able to answer that. Like, what do you feel like comes between? Uh, what do you feel like I prioritize above you and my wife, or you, my children? And let them answer that question, oh, no matter great. how convicting that is. That's kind of the point of this article. Like you said, uh, he says in a hyper achievement culture, it's so easy to prioritize passions while relationships suffer. But we do it out of the best intentions, right? I could do this and make some more money more for my family, or I could help the church along, or I could help this person. When in reality, my greatest calling is to my wife and my kids. Uh, that's my greatest mission field and saying, you know what, let's let's take on a stock and make sure this is really about priorities. Make sure I have my priorities in line right. and letting them speak that truth into our lives. That, that would be hard, but yet powerful. Well, this this sentence says it all for me right here towards the end of the story. It says, uh, is the most jaw-dropping achievement in the world worth it if we become less human in the process of achieving it? And I that for some reason that that hits me too the idea of becoming less human yeah. that we are our most human that we are who we've fully been made to be when we're doing life together when we're investing in our most important relationships and when our time are at when we become the sum of what we can accomplish it actually in a lot of ways is like slowly stripping us of our true identity even though we're doing it to ourselves we start to buy into the lie that I'm only valuable when I can accomplish these things, when I can achieve these things, and nothing could be further from the truth. That's right. Well, you're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. We want you out there, us included, to be living lives with the right priorities. 
not necessarily be ultimately hyper achievement driven, but to have our priorities correct. So hopefully uh, just that story there will help you wrestle with that and help you ask the right questions. Yeah. Well, coming up next, we are going to talk about uh, abortion and what does it truly mean to be pro-life? That's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160. This is a show where we want to raise questions more than give you answers. We want to uh, have a conversation with you. So again, my name is Brian Fromm, and I'm joined by my co-host Ian Simpkins. This is The Common Good on AM 1160. You can follow us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That is The Common Good Radio Show. Well, Ian, you've probably seen in the news as of late, there is an increased uh, conversation around the debate about abortion right now. I'm sure you've been seeing that. Yeah, it's kind of all over the place right now, it seems. It really is, which I think is good for us as believers because it forces us to, again, uh, engage and have the conversation. And I wanted to, before having a conversation here, I wanted to play an audio clip of Ben Sass. Ben Sass is um, a congressman from uh, the state of Nebraska. He's a believer. Uh, he has a lot of great things to say. I'd love to have him on the show sometime. Yeah, no and uh, Ben Sass he went to the floor uh, of uh, of Congress and tried to get a one hundred percent anti infanticide. He called it bill, hmm. uh, and of course, nothing can go without you know debate or anything. Uh, But I thought his intro to it, his words were really powerful. So this is like 40 seconds long, uh, and then let's talk about it a little bit, all right? Sure. In a few minutes, the United States Senate is going to have an opportunity to condemn infanticide. 100 United States senators are going to have an opportunity to unanimously say the most basic thing imaginable, and that is that it's wrong to kill a little newborn baby. Every senator will have the opportunity to stand for human dignity, to stand for the belief that in this country, all of us are created equal. Because if that equality means anything, surely it means that infanticide is wrong. Frankly, this shouldn't be hard. Politicians come to this floor every single day and talk about how they care for the poorest or the weakest or the most marginalized members of our society. I found that clip to be powerful, Ian, because there's a senator, Ben Sass, saying it's our job to to hold out uh, to protect the most marginal and, yeah. and the the ones who are most hurting. And it's it's I, I'm finding it fascinating that there's this growing divide over do we push abortion rights even further, which seems to be going on on one segment of the population, uh, or do we start going this is crazy and do we hold it back? Um, what are your thoughts as you've been watching all of this play out over the last week? I mean, before I even get to thoughts, I got to address feelings. Like yep. I, I'm watching, I'm watching just the madness on social media, on news networks, yes. in families, and you know, my mind goes to a couple of places. One, I I know people who have had abortions themselves, yes. and if you're listening, like please know. Um, you are just as loved by God. You are just as much an image bearer as you always have been. Um, and you're loved and accepted. Like that, that breaks my heart. On the other hand, like you were saying, I believe that's not just um, an option. It's a responsibility of a Christ follower to defend the most vulnerable among us. And and what who could be more vulnerable, right, than than a baby in the womb? And I and again, I mentioned this last time I talked about this that I'm not a doctor or a lawyer or a mm-hmm. politician, but. I, even since that segment, I've been I've been doing more and more research, and I, I I am pretty troubled by 
the lack of evidence that I found to justify um, a late-term abortion, yeah. a, uh, some you know, particularly given the, that clip that you just played, and I think that's the stuff that really and I and I hate going there because um, I want to assume the best, not just in um, mothers, but in everybody that doctors aren't going to work like you know looking forward to aborting fetuses, but. Right. It also seems like, man, there's a lot of disagreement about what are these laws actually saying and who who are we to believe? And I feel like that's what's causing everyone's head to spin. Like, what am I missing here? Like what he's saying, mm. you know, in those 40 seconds, I'm like, is he am I missing a counter argument here? Like I <laughs> yes. I listen to that. I think, yeah, there we we have to be about standing up saying this. That's just not right. And I and again, you know, a lot of times it jumps to, you know, who should be making the decisions about whose body and blah, right, blah, right. blah, blah, blah. But if if we believe, though, that um especially a, a full-term baby, it, it, like it just, I know it's more complicated than we have time to even unpack now, but there seems to be such little evidence to support the, the need for something like this, you know, delivered by, via C-section. And I'd right. love to hear, you know, opposing opinions to that if there are, like I, that helped me understand better, but like the more that I've been thinking and praying about it, like it really, really breaks my heart that there's so much uh, division and heartache. And I think as Christ followers, we absolutely do need to stand up and say, that's just not right. That's in, that's inhumane. And we are about standing up for the most vulnerable and marginalized among us. Uh, I appreciate that, man. That was very pastoral of you. And I, I do want to say also that like what worries me, there's obviously a lot of nuance to what happened in New York or Virginia this week. But yeah. what is not nuanced in it is the fact that Regardless of what you believe is behind each and every one of those particular laws, uh, the abortion debate is moving more radical than it's than it's going the other direction. <laughs> like, yeah, right. The right. views within our country are becoming more radical, and that should terrify us uh, as people who see uh, every life being formed by God in the womb of a mother. Hmm. And, uh, and and I think that uh, we need to stand up for that. I think the church needs to say, you know what, this is a hill to die on. <laughs> this yeah, right, is one. Right. That we're going to raise up. And so I was reading on the Gospel Coalition blog uh, an interesting article that I'd love your thoughts on because uh, I do think it moves this ball forward a little bit for us as as followers of Jesus. And the title is this, Pro-Life or Anti-Abortion, What's in a Name? Hmm. And I think this is a very important one because I think that all of us, most of us in churches and stuff are anti-abortion. Uh, but the author of this article says there's more to being pro-life than just being anti-abortion yeah, that right. we need to be— the way to put it is usually we're going to care for people womb to tomb yeah. uh, and want the best interest, especially of the marginalized and the hurt. What what do you think about what falls under the umbrella for you under the term pro-life? Well, I, so I, and I've wrestled with this uh, for a number of years. It make, actually makes me think of a story years ago. Mother Teresa was asked by a, a group of college students if she would join them in an anti-war march. And she said, no, but if you had a march for peace, I'd be happy to join. And I think her whole point was we have enough uh, anti-campaigns and anti-march. Like, what are we for? And I think historically, unfortunately, in a lot of circles, the church has only been known by what we're against and not what we're for. And I think a lot of us, we even came to faith that way. We're like, well, yeah. there's a list of things that we are, you know, violently against. You know, like, great. Um, so what do we actually do now? Because <laughs> those are the things. So I think to be pro-life is exactly what we were saying is is to not just simply um i think if we're going to be pro-life you need to also be willing to care for some single mamas and adopt some babies specifically yes. on this issue but it also i mean that talks about um the the poor the marginalized people uh, with mental physical social disabilities that i think it, it is a much broader much more complicated topic obviously but necessarily so to be about 
what we mentioned a lot on this show is the Imago Day. How do we continue? How do we be on the forefront of, um, providing and speaking and affirming like dignity and purpose and identity into people, not just with our words, but with our time and our resources as well. Like that's where to me, the rubber hits the road, right? When Jesus says where your treasure is there, your heart will be good. He's kind of saying, do you want to know what you really care about? Follow the paper trail. Mm. Like that'll, that'll show what you really care about, what you really value. And I think, okay, but then that needs to mean at some level that we're caring holistically for, the 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 most marginalized and vulnerable among us. Yeah, the statistics out there for adoption that if if each church just adopted one baby <laughs> in, yeah, right, in our right. country, the amount that of the foster care system that would just be emptied and and all of that is is staggering even worldwide. Uh, we want to be strictly anti-abortion and we also want to be strictly pro-life uh, in our politics and just the way that we treat the world well we we mess we we go into some messy things here on the common good uh but coming up next we're going to tell you about a new fan we have for our show an unexpected fan that we found out about last night on the common good on am 1160 hope for your life it's time for a conversation about the things we share in common our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160. My name is Brian Fromm. I am joined again by Ian Simpkins. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show or online at 1160hope.com. Last night, Ian, on Facebook, we came to find out from multiple different people that we've barely <laughs> been at this for a month and we have a huge new fan for our radio show. Is that amazing? I mean, it depends on who the fan is. Well, because some, sometimes we talk into microphones. We don't know if anybody's listening, but we <laughs> we found true. out that maybe one of the most powerful men in all of the world is 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 clearly a fan of our show. What do you no think kidding. about that? No kidding. Well, right. I, I mean, I'd love to find out who this is. Well, let's hear the clip. Go ahead, Josh. Play that clip, and you're going to hear about our new fan of our show. But we must reject the politics of revenge, resistance, and retribution, and embrace the boundless potential of cooperation, compromise, and the common good. There it was. <laughs> One President Donald Trump said, we must embrace the possibilities of the common good. Man, that <laughs> elevates it for me, what you and I are doing here, huh? <laughs> yeah, we need to put that on the website for sure. <laughs> We're going to use that in our next contract negotiation, right? <laughs> yeah, right, obviously. Obviously. That's amazing. <laughs> so thank you, Mr. President. We know you have a lot on your plate, but regardless of your politics, we appreciate your listening. <laughs> yeah, that's that's quite a shout out. Feel free to call it. in the State of the Union, nonetheless. Wow. Wow. I, what's going to happen in month two, man? Yeah, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> well, you did throw an article my way that I'm, I'm curious uh, of uh, just your thoughts behind it. Let me read the headline, and I'm going to let you dive in. This is on Medium.com. It says this, hip churches, that had my eye already, hip <laughs> churches, great if you're straight, but most hide their LGBTQ policies. 
what were your thoughts behind this one? Yeah, I thought of a friend of mine who she just moved to Indiana and um, she she sent me an email recently. They're looking for a church. And uh, the comment that she made to me was, I feel like I'm being catfished by mm. these churches. And I didn't really understand what she meant by that. And she said, well, I'm, I'm looking for a church that affirms this and is open to that. And, you know, I go on the website and I, I feel like I'm doing adequate research. And then I actually meet with the pastors and the leaders. And sometimes, you know, you attend for a couple of days, a couple of weeks, and you kind of fall in love with the community. And then you come to find out that you weren't actually aligned on some of these, um, some of these issues. And she said, I feel like I'm being catfished. Like they're telling me one version of themselves and then come to find out they actually hold these these other values and yep. i think i'd never heard that phrase before and i think i think she coined it i think it's a really fascinating phrase regardless of your doctrine your theology your politics this this idea of being uh forthright with um how you how you land on certain uh, complicated theological issues and it, right. ma- it made me think of a, a couple of stories i remember years ago um a guy kind of randomly asked me if we could get coffee and he, he kind of, he, he began to unpack this story for me about, um, attending another church and he came out to his small group and, uh, he, he was then asked to leave that small group and then later got a, an email from the senior pastor, um, asking to leave the church. Oh, wow. And, and it's a much longer story, but at this point in the story, you know, we're at Starbucks and he, he's crying and I'm crying and he, he looks up at me and says, would I be allowed to attend your church? Mm. And I was, I was filled with so much heartache in that question because, and I said to him, you don't ever have to ask me that question. The answer is all, yes, you will always be welcome at our community. And and so that began kind of a, a couple of other conversations where uh, he had another friend who had just been kicked out of his house because uh, he came out kind of accidentally, his brother had found his cell phone and, his parents said, you can either go to electroshock therapy camp or you can leave our house. And um, he asked me the same question. Would I be allowed to attend your church? And I said, you don't ever have to ask me that question. Like, it's, I didn't even realize that that was an issue. Like, yeah, we may disagree on some of these theological points, but he, they were asking if they could even attend, yep. you know. And yep. So that, that kind of progressed to having a number of different conversations with people who had been um, maybe kind of burned or even outright asked to leave their church communities and um, we, we had a, a number of people at our church who were attending who were, would put themselves in the LGBTQ camp. And I remember, uh, one couple took me out to dinner and, and they kind of finally asked the million dollar question. We, we know that we're welcome, yes. uh, but are we accepted? And, uh, that was a really important question. One that I, I'm still wrestling with today. And I, I think I, uh, I don't realize, I don't think at the moment I realized how much I appreciated the forthright nature of their question, because what they were saying was, we attend here and we don't even know like this is our church home and yep. we still have questions about where we land and where what we're you know what 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 your theological position is and and that to me was convicting because um that was their church home yep. and that was something that you know they they I think were afraid to even ask the question because they didn't want to know the answer and um that this article in particular isn't even really making a case uh, for one theological position or the other, um, but is really making the case for clarity. Like yes. be be forthright. You know, anytime that I'm asked this question now, um, I, I I will next to never answer via email and say, let's can we get a cup of coffee? Like yeah. let's have a meal together. Let's like like let's spend some time together rather than just simply firing off you know a, a tab on the website, which I think is an important way to engage with this. Yeah. But I think it highlights a bigger issue though about us. You know. 
uh, how how we uh, decide what we're clear on and what we're fuzzy on, and that that I think has impl- implications far beyond what I uh, I even recognized. I love this call for clarity because we've run into that too at our church. Uh, I remember somebody calling once uh, and asking, and we asking me, you know, like, what are your stances on homosexuality? Would I be welcomed at your church? And I gave the whole spiel. Uh, yes, you'd be welcome. Everyone's welcome. You know, all this stuff, which I believe fully. Like I believe that deeply. Uh, and then she said. Uh, would you do my wedding? Right. And I said, no, ma'am, I wouldn't do that. And she right. said, well, that doesn't sound very welcoming to me, and then hung the phone up. Sure. And I got that. Like, I understood that. Like, yeah, that yeah. probably didn't yes. sound very welcoming to you, but it's also our belief system. And so I think the call to be honest with people up front about, uh, especially in what the, what are hot-button issues for them that they're taking the time to ask you about. And what I read in here, too, is this. Sometimes as pastors, we could just do all we can to get people in our churches. Yeah, <laughs> like right. Just come to my church. When in reality, there may be another church that is just going to be a better community for them. Totally. And where we could say, you know what? We're probably not the best place for you, but let me tell you about a place that might be. And to think kind of more <laughs> kingdom-minded, more globally than that. But it is hard. I think the call, when you first gave me this article, I was like, mm, what are we talking about here? And I, right. I really appreciate this call about across the board. Um, just be clear about what you believe. People will respect that and let right. them make the choice about whether uh, that's where they're at rather than kind of faking it and be like trying to trick them into getting into the community first. And then like, oh, by the way, we don't right. think this. I think just be fair about it. I think that's a good call. Well, and to lead with love, yeah. right? To to always begin with a posture of love, and I think that you know this this idea of of Jesus um, spending time with all sorts of people that maybe at the time no one would have ever guessed. I think that that to me, I want to always be leaning more and more into that, and to make sure that uh, you know people aren't projects, and then we're not just tossing out theological yes. positions, but we're actually like loving people well. And sometimes maybe that is actually saying, you know, this isn't maybe a good fit necessarily yep. for you or your family. I appreciate that, man. Um, it's a hard one. It's a hard yeah. one because we want to have the opportunity to be. We're pastors and we're churches because we want to accept people and love on them and help them. Uh, but sometimes the best thing we can do is just to be honest yeah. about who we are and, and where we're at. So totally uh, a tough one. That's a good conversation for us as pastors, but also all of us as believers. Uh, just be open. But as Ian said, let's lead with love uh, much the way Jesus did. Well, you're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Coming up next, uh, how to do more. We often talk about multitasking, but we're going to tackle this. How can you do more by single tasking? Talking about single tasking rather than multitasking. That's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Wow, that is some new music right there. It is. Uh, it is like a. Di- it's a different one every day. That's good stuff, right there. No kidding. Coming in with a bang. Uh, I don't feel like I have any idea what that is or who that is, but but I'm good. I'm good. Gets yeah, me not cheery. a clue. Not a clue. <laughs> there you go. Well, you're listening to the Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. My name is Brian Fromm, joined again uh, by Ian Simpkins. Uh, Ian, in our culture, there is a great uh, amount of pride uh, given to having the ability to multitask. Yep. Uh, in fact, we kind of put it out there that if you can't multitask, you're never going to survive. And so, you know, we're having a conversation on the phone while checking our email or we're eating while doing work or we're, you know, on our computers while, while playing with our kids, whatever it might be. Multitasking is something that has become uh, just expected uh, in our culture. 
but on this website called becomingminimalist.com, which is going to tell you which way they're going to go here, <laughs> uh, how to do more single tasking. And yeah. It starts this way. You may think you're a good multitasker, but science is showing that even if you are better at it than average, multitaskers are more likely to be stressed than their single tasking friends. Besides, none of us are actually very good at it. Our brains are not designed to do more than one thing at a time. Yeah. So, did you hear that or were you doing something else while I was Yeah, I'm that? doing look, that's a moment of confession. My laptop right now, I have 17 tabs open. Like I can barely tell what website each tab is. You're, so, rock, you're rocking a child at the same time and eating yeah, right. a cheeseburger. I'm crocheting. I'm painting. Uh, we, we probably, it's also worth noting that you and I like have other, like we're pastors first, right? So right. this is a really convicting uh, article for me in particular. And I, I have been following the minimalists for a while and they, they have a document on Netflix that's really good and really convicting and I've done none of it by the way just to be clear <laughs> just to be clear but um, whenever anybody says oh science is showing blah 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 I always want to do my own research and they're, they're spot on they're, our, we're not nearly as good at multitasking as we think we are and right. it sort of creates this illusion of accomplishment um, which is we're finding more and more is not actually true. In fact, how much time it takes for your brain to kind of kick back into gear as you switch back and forth between these tasks um, takes not only a lot of energy, but as as the story goes on to say, causes a lot of stress. Yes. And as we know, stress um, lives on beyond just the moment of the stressor that has health implications, that has brain implications, that has, I mean, the implications are seemingly endless. And so this idea of multitasking being really, uh, good for us is, uh, it, as it turns out, really is not true at all. Yeah, because it's saying multitasking, it it gives nothing that it promises, right? So right. you're not going to get more done. What you do, you're going to do more poorly, and you're going to be stressed out. Yep, yep. <laughs> and like you said, we both have children and a uh, full-time job and a part-time job and <laughs> other things. <laughs> yeah, so right, no kidding. This is one of those, sometimes as pastors, you preach to the other people, and sometimes you preach to yourself. <laughs> yeah. So, um you know, and it says in this post, this guy reminds us that single tasking is something we must train ourselves to do. So he's right. saying it's nothing we'll ever do, just we'll never stumble into this. Right. Especially in a world intentionally designed to grab our attention and distract us. Yeah, Everything no is set up around us to distract us. So why don't you walk us through the rest of this article? They start giving some very practical steps of how to do better at single tasking. Maybe highlight either all of them or some of them that stood out to you uh, that people can even begin to implement in their own lives. Yeah, and he, again, you can find this uh, yourself at becomingminimalist.com, but I, I'd love to just walk through these quickly just because they're so practical and so helpful and uh, honestly, like, really, really convicting. Uh, so it says, here's how to train yourself for single tasking. One, start with small bursts. Just like an athlete would train themselves with manageable exercises first, Begin with easier rather than daunting tasks. So a lot of times, whether it's cleaning out your house or starting a new habit or, you know, New Year's resolutions, we tend to say, I'm going to run a marathon. Yes. And like, you've never run before in your life. Maybe, <laughs> maybe started a 3K. Yeah. You know, it's maybe easy. run to the end of your street. <laughs> right, right, right. Like, it's, it's easy to swing for the fence. And they're saying, start with something that's a little more manageable. Yeah. Uh, number two, break down large projects into smaller chunks. Build a plan for achieving large goals with less stress, which, again, is something I'm not very good at. Nope. Like, I like the big, daunting – it's kind of what we were just talking about, the climbing the mountain, right? This huge, seemingly unachievable thing. Like, God, break it up. It's easier, it's easier to accomplish that way. Um, number three, every evening or morning, choose the most important things that you need to complete that day. I, 
start with your most important task and work from there. That's another thing that's sort of that, you know, eat the frog mantra of like yes. starting. Sometimes the most important is the one that you want to do the least. Uh, just do it and make a plan. Get it get it in writing. You know, this is what I'm going to accomplish today and make that the priority. Could you maybe explain the eat the frog mantra? <laughs> yeah, I don't think I know enough about it. I think <laughs> I think that's the end of the mantra, actually, is eat the frog is a thing you don't want to do, but you have to do. Okay. Which the analogy breaks down from there. Why would I ever want to eat a frog? Exactly. That's what I, I was wondering. Okay. <laughs> maybe we can come up with a better metaphor. Skin a cat. <laughs> See, that one's cruel, too, though. Why do these all involve like, <laughs> mistreatment of animals? Yes, yes. And number four, work in bursts, uh, setting a time if necessary and slowly increasing the blocks of time in which you single task. Like, my brother has a constant away message on his email. It says, hey, thanks for writing. Um, I only answer emails during this time and this time. Oh, that's good. He has dedicated times every day, and you'll get a you'll get a response right away. Hey, I answer emails at uh, 11 a.m. and 3 p.m., and that's when I do it. And uh, I just, man, I think that's brilliant. Absolutely. Uh, it says, have only the tools you need for the task available. Clear your desk. Close out open computer tabs, which I've not done. Silence your phone. Clear the clutter. Like, I don't know how many times you've been writing something while having your phone open next to your laptop. Yes. Also looking at, yeah, you've done it too. Yes, all the time. <laughs> oh, all it's the ridiculous. Time. I so respect the people who are like, I'm writing right now. I'm not going to do anything else. <laughs> And I can't do it. I've tried it. And I'm like, nope. <laughs> I can't even, like, if I'm in a coffee shop, I look up every time the door opens. Yes. Like, it's, I'm so easily distracted yeah. by that stuff. I hear you. Um, set unrealistic personal deadlines. Um, Peter Bregan at Harvard Business Review suggests the tactic of forcing single tasking by giving yourself only a third of the time you think you need to accomplish something. The tighter deadline will keep you more focused, more productive, and less stressed. I think that's brilliant. Yes. Force a deadline, right? So you're not like finishing a sermon uh, at Saturday at midnight, right? Like tell yourself, no, I stopped writing at Thursday. Yeah. Um, save internet research until the end. Number eight, enjoy the sensation of completing the time or the task. And number nine, remember that sometimes the goal isn't perfection, oh, it's progress. That's good. That'll preach, right? Yes. The yes. goal isn't perfection, it's progress. You're getting better. You're moving the ball down the field. That's the that's the one that I I need to hear because I, I can be such a uh, a perfection driven person at times that if yeah. it's not totally perfect it was a total wash and to celebrate like nah you you got better it's not perfect keep working it's progress but and the irony is at the end of the article it says that if we could get better at single tasking of focusing on one thing at a time you're going to be actually more productive not only will your work be better you're actually going to get more stuff done and it's going to be better. Yep, but totally. we don't believe it. Like I'm count, I can't even count the number of tabs I have in, on in my computer right now. <laughs> it's like you and I are on a race. Who has more tabs going right, right now? Right, and and so this is this is total preach to me on this one right now. Which is, I think you you started to to touch on it too. Why? What is our obsession with multitasking? It's because we feel like we need to always be accomplishing. And what I, I find so brilliant about this article is that you think you're accomplishing more, you're actually not, and. The reality of needing to train ourselves that single tasking isn't simply as easy as, oh, I closed up my tabs or I cleared the clutter. Those are steps. Yep. But it's like anything. It's like any skill. You got you to gotta train yourself and to, to find progress, to find joy in the little steps of getting better at it um, are worth celebrating. And that's something I just I don't do very well and I want to get better at. Yeah, distraction can just be so hard. It can be so debilitating and make us worse spouses and parents and yeah. Workers and everything, everything. Totally. So this is this is a good word. Well, this is the common good on AM eleven sixty. Hope for your life. Coming up next, we're going to have an interesting conversation 
about how the church of today is confusing the concept of leadership and that that has replaced discipleship. So two pastors talking about discipleship versus leadership. That's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. My name is Brian Fromm. I am joined again uh, by my co-host, Ian Simpkins. Uh, Ian, the music is just outside of my genre now. It's I was going to say, do you, do you know who this is? No. $10 no. if you can name this artist. I, uh, you, could, you could have just offered me a million dollars. I wanted to be realistic about what I'm offering. I will not be able to get it. So, uh, yeah, we're outside. We, we left like my high school times of 25 years ago, and away we go. So maybe well, that, band, that band's called Modest Mouse, and they've been around for a while. Yeah, sure. Sure they have. Maybe not <laughs> sure 25 years. I mean, right. Maybe the best thing that's going to come out of this show for me is just a, an expansion of my of my music <laughs> yes. library. Yes, and, I, I would count that a victory for yeah. sure. I'll get you in the Bon Jovi and Bruce Springsteen, and we'll, okay. we'll call it a day. I already like Springsteen. We're fine. Okay, okay. <laughs> well, again, we've mentioned before that Ian and I both, our primary jobs are that we're pastors. I am the lead pastor at Four Corners Community Church in Darien, Illinois, and uh, Ian is... Uh, the teaching pastor at Community Christian Church in Naperville, Illinois, also known as the Yellow Box. Ian, I didn't tell you, the other day somebody walked into our church who I'd never seen before and said, oh, I've been hearing you on the radio. No kidding. Wow. (laughs) I I was like, I didn't know what to say. I was like, that's great. (laughs) I was going to say, did they say good or bad? Like, They just stated the fact. I've been hearing you. (laughs) I took that as a positive. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to bring it into question. I I took that as a positive. So (laughs) if you're out there and you you are not a part of a church, I'm sure we would love to have you come to one of our churches and come tell us that you're a listener. That would be be really fun for us, a melding of our two worlds. Uh, But as pastors— uh, we give a lot of thought to uh, this article that brings up on Medium.com, and it's titled this, Leadership Has Replaced Discipleship. And for me, that is a biggie. Like, that yeah. is that is big. So uh, why don't you unpack for us what this article is getting at, what it is saying, and then I think this is a huge one for us as pastors and as Christians to really wrestle with. Well, the headline is Leadership Has Replaced Discipleship. The subheading is and How the Internet is Transforming the Church. And so I do want to say... Uh, first off, I, I am not one of those anti-internet, anti-social media pastors. I've, I've heard so many sermons about how it's the devil and it's you know killing everything, and then it's you know, making us terrible people. I don't think that's the case at all. I think it's a it's a tool, and like any tool, you can use it for good or for bad. But yes. the premise is interesting, and again, the title is a little a little bit of clickbait. I don't think leadership has to replace discipleship, but I think there's certainly some implications in the way that the author talks about discipleship is that it's inconvenient. It's a slow, patient process of uh, doing life together, having lunch together, sharing coffee, sharing yeah. tears. And it takes, it takes a lot of time and it takes sort of this, what, what Alan Hirsch would call like communitas, this like person on person, just time together invested in. And with the rise of social media and social networks, um, what's become a lot more popular, he's asserting, is leadership. That leadership has become discipleship with the greater ROI. It's like discipleship 2.0, that uh, what I can convey via Facebook or via live streaming or via podcasts or radio even, yeah. <laughs> uh, that, you know, that, that, that has replaced the like long, patient, walking arm in arm with somebody yes. uh, in discipleship. And I think he makes a couple of really interesting points. Now, again, you and I are both on social media, but we're on the radio right now. Yep. So there's a certain bit of irony 
um, to what he calls leadership. But I, I do think there is a there is a really important caution here that a lot of us, um, we jump right to ROI, right? And maybe you call it something else. Maybe you call right. it platform or you call it reach and that those things aren't bad. But I mean, even when it comes to the Bible, right? I mean, I mean, the Bible speaks of leadership like six times, but speaks of like discipleship dozens of times, right? Mm. And have we become maybe a little overly obsessed with this idea of leadership and and does that have problematic implications? I think there's a lot of great things in talking about good biblical leadership, but maybe there is some things that we're missing when it comes to what does it mean to like walk arm in arm with somebody over a long period of time. Yeah, I, I went out with some pastors the other day and uh, all of us are pastors of some smaller churches, right? And these guys yeah. have been at it for a long time. And uh, so, well, some of them have, some of them are, are newer. Uh, and we did the most pastor thing ever. You want to know where our meeting was taking place? We, <laughs> we tell me. We met at Chick-fil-A. Obviously, and so, sure. <laughs> Jesus chicken, as we like the to Lord's refer to chicken, it. <laughs> right? <laughs> and uh, we got in a conversation about just the the slog of pastoring of what it can be sometimes. And we had this long talk, and I ha- I grew in such respect for these guys because they were just talking about, you know, what we value the going to the hospital and the going out for lunch and the being there for our people. And I was like, just reminded of what it means to be a shepherd in kind of this day to day person to person that's what makes discipleship hard Hmm. it's the day-to-day person to person uh extended amount of time Hmm. versus the just kind of i'm going to kind of blast out there and say something whether it's on social media or from a platform or whatever else it might be uh, which is important but it doesn't replace the having systems to get into people's lives and walk alongside them and it's you and i keep using the eugene peterson phrase it feels on here every other day uh, that long obedience in the same direction of just yeah, doing right. life with people. And we don't need any better model than Jesus, right? right Jesus, right. Uh, he could have done leadership stuff to massive amounts of people. Uh, sure. Jesus pretty much invested his life in a lot of people, but primarily in 12 people. Right. And said, I'm going to build into you and it's going to be messy and be frustrating. And this isn't just a pastor thing. This really is how we are all called to orient our lives, like diving into the lives of other people who are behind us in the faith, helping them along, helping them to understand who Jesus is. Uh, But man, that's kind of, I don't know, should I be guilty to say that that's kind of the hard part (laughs) of Christianity, of discipleship and community? And sometimes that hard part's not very fun. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that's, that's honest. And I think it starts by first being honest that it is hard. Like I think when we tell people, ah, discipleship's easy. I think we do them a disservice by not giving people the right tools, but also a right frame of reference, you know, like Jesus, yeah, invested in a small group, but he also was apprenticing them. And it says, you're going to do even greater things. So in a lot of ways, that's also leadership, right? But I think absolutely. I, I don't know. When it, when it comes to like the most influential, most meaningful relationships, the most formative people, they're not usually distant voices. They're, they're people closest to me. Right? Yep. And I, there's this really brilliant talk that Andy Crouch gave on, on personal connection. And he said, every one of us came into this world looking for one thing. The, the moment we were born, we were looking for one thing, a face. Because mm. until we see a face, until another sees us, we don't know who we are. And and I think that's such a that's such a significant component of just being human that you cannot accomplish that just simply listening to podcasts, which are good, yes, or reading books, which are good, but we're formed first and foremost by the people that we're 
we're doing life with. And that's not knocking leadership at all. I think we need leadership and we need vision and we need um, those kinds of people, you know, leading the charge. But we also maybe even more significantly need the people that are like doing life with us, arms linked, looking into our eyes, reminding us that we're not alone, reminding us that we're loved, reminding us that God sees us. Like that's the kind of stuff that you can't synthesize in a Facebook stream um, as much as we might try. Yeah, I like that. It's not an either or. It's right, not totally. leadership or discipleship, but uh, the leadership are even beyond leadership. The doing things, like you said, from a distance, either right. taking them in or throwing them out to other people from a distance can't replace the messiness of the day-to-day, doing the grind together, praying for each other, being there in the highs and the lows and having those people. And we've talked enough on this show about how lonely people are that this is actually what people are craving, that day-to-day care to, that, uh, that they're known by another person. Uh, right. We just can never let that go. That's right, and I think it, it really it, for us it has to it has we have to come to terms with the fact that the point of the Christian life is not just the transfer of knowledge mm. right through a message or a sermon. It's it's the molding of of character and habits through discipleship. Yes. Like that that is at its core what the Great Commission is all about. Not just knowing more and more things, but actually like being formed and transformed more and more into the likeness of Christ. Mm. And. On a pastoral end, one thing I've learned uh, and appreciate about you, I don't know how many times you've said in our first month of doing this show, I took that person to coffee. I went out to mm. coffee. Hey, you mm. had a baby, so you need a lot of coffee. But <laughs> yeah, but also yeah. just I think you value that face-to-face, and I appreciate that. That's very pastoral. Yeah, thanks, man. So. Thanks, man. Well, anyway, we had that touching moment, but my name is Brian <laughs> Fromm, joined again by Ian Simpkins. You are listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Coming up next... As we like to say, we're going to land this plane and have a little bit of fun and some laughs along the way. This is The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. My name is Brian Fromm, and I am joined again by Ian Simpkins, my co-host. And uh, Ian, we like to always end the show. We've taken some time to do hard topics thought-provoking, hopefully, topics. But we always like to end it with just some laughs, some, what do you like to call it? It's not funny, strange things we found on the internet. <laughs> the interwebs, what did you call it? In- interweb insanity. There it is. There it is. So we've got some good ones today, uh, and and let's uh, let's go with this. I'm going to start from England. Are you ready? We've always said there's some good ones from England. Love England, yes, So sir. you got to know for this story, in, in America, it's 911. In England, you can report a, an emergency at 999, okay? Okay. So knowing that, here's the headline. Time waster called 999 because Facebook went down for him. <laughs> Police have slammed a man who phoned 999 to report that his Facebook account was not working properly. It left the officers furious and with no words. Should we be concerned that that's where we are as a culture now, as a people, that right. Facebook being down is like an emergency for us? Uh, it, it's uh, Yes, we should be concerned. Okay, good. Yes. <laughs> Well, Brian, I'm I'm uh, I'm happy to tell you that this one's out of New Jersey. Yes, my home, my home state, baby. You're you're not going to be happy in a second. I okay. don't think. Maybe maybe you will. Uh, headline reads: Lock of George Washington's hair <laughs> sells at auction for more than thirty five thousand dollars. A lock of George Washington's hair sold at auction for more than thirty five thousand dollars at auction uh, auction house at Leland's. The hair was sold by the family of Alexander Hamilton who served under the first president of the United States as Secretary of Treasury. Why he had a lock of his hair is beyond me. But the more important question is, 
Who's spending $35,000 on things like this? I mean, people have spent it on worse, on, on worse, but I'm going with that does seem uh, that does seem a bit crazy because what do you do with it? Do you frame it? Do you, uh, <laughs> do you put I don't it know. Out? You make a doll out of it? The options, there's only creepy options. That's what I'm saying. There's no like normal conclusion to this story. I'd stick it to like my ear. <laughs> of course, of course you would. Good so a, a side thing, in Jersey, like how I would hear in Illinois, everything's about Lincoln, you know? Right. So in Jersey, because George Washington crossed the Delaware right there and all that kind of stuff, sure. uh, there's everywhere. I grew up in Washington Township. Like there's Washington stuff everywhere because oh, he really? was. I didn't know that he was basically all around there in, in the that time of the sense. revolution. So yeah, his hair is worth more there. So <laughs> all right, I'm going back to England for you. Going back sure. to England, going to gross you out. You're not going to want to eat dinner after I tell you this. Oh gosh, London restaurant serves up gray squirrel lasagna. No, 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 no. The no, chef no, no. at a London restaurant says he is catering to customers in search of sustainable proteins with a lasagna made with an unusual meat, gray squirrel. Why? Does he explain at all why? Is gray it, squirrels it, are considered an invasive species in Britain. It's been blamed for the dwindling population of red squirrels. So he said we got to get a, do away with the with the gray squirrels. But but we should be eating what we kill, and so he is making lasagna out of the gray squirrels. Okay, is it How weird that I actually I kind of find that honorable a little but you, bit? But you wouldn't eat it. Uh, I'd like to plead the fifth here. What if you found George Washington's hair in a gray no, squirrel lasagna? Golly. I feel like this is the grossest you've been for this segment in a while. It is. It is. I'm happy about that. I was say you didn't seem convicted by that whatsoever. Nope. Oh. Okay, how about some Illinois news? We don't do a lot of Illinois news here with this uh, particular interweb insanity segment. Uh, this one reads, customer and store clerk fight each other with jumper cables and a broom. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know that I want to read any of the other details just because that particular picture. Can you imagine being the third party that like walks in on this? Like, oh, sorry, never mind. I'll... I'm going to go to a different store. Like, what would you do if you walked in? Saw, you saw a clerk and a customer fighting with jumper cables and a broom. Like, you know that meme from The Simpsons where Grandpa Simpson walks in and immediately walks out? That's what I would do. <laughs> Just walk in, put my hat that's, down, pick it up, go out the other way. Just, that's a perfect analogy. I'm that's out. Perfect. I'm out. All right, this one's going to take a little bit of time, but it's from our friends up north. By okay. up north, I mean Wisconsin. Sure. So River Falls, Wisconsin. You ready? This story is nuts. So oh boy. we're at River Falls Middle School. They, they wanted a spruced-up fitness center. They needed a new fitness center. And so they asked for donations, and they called this uh, the Build Pride. So the pride portion of this is the title born out of the initiative to raise money and therefore, quote, build pride by refurbishing the facility. They were able to get a $15,000 donation from somebody, and with that $15,000 donation came naming rights. But it says here, it appeared nobody thought about what the name sounded like out loud. Nobody put it all together because they kept the word pride in there. The guy's name was Roger, is Roger T. White. And so they started getting, uh, they started printing signs. They started printing other signs like for around town. Like it was a big deal that they had the Roger T. White Pride Fitness Room. Oh, no. I can't even laugh at that. The Roger T. (laughs) I'll laugh for you. White Pride Fitness Area. And after they realized what they had done, they changed it to the Roger T. White Wildcat Fitness Room. (laughs) So because That that was their solution? Yes, that is their solution. Oh, wow. Get Get multiple editors before you do anything. Isn't that what we learn here over and over again? 
we both work at churches, man, and I can't tell you how many times there's been. I mean, we actually do a pretty good job with programs and stuff, but every once in a while, something squeaks oh, by, and you're like, man. "How did we not catch that?" Exactly. You need multiple lines on that one. So that one's out of River Falls. You got another one for us? Yeah, I got one out of New York here. Um, it says truck crashes into parked cars and row of homes to avoid cat. <laughs> <laughs> Which again, you know, for you cat lovers, maybe this is a really honorable story. I just think like the the amount of damage caused to avoid hitting a cat. I mean, I grew up, you know, with cats, but our cats also, I mean, they ran away. They died all the time. Like it was, you know, when I hear people spending thousands of dollars to like invest in their cat, I was like, we just called that new cat in our family. Like, <laughs> we're, we're not paying $4,000 for cat surgery in the house that I was raised in. You just got a new cat. That was it. But uh, yeah, the guy driver must really like cats, I guess. Oh, that's really funny. All right, my last one. We're going to Germany. All right. A butcher opened a sausage-themed hotel in a German town. So everything about this hotel is sausage-themed. In fact, okay. the restaurant only serves sausages. And he said, if you don't like sausage, then don't book a room. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so you know what? Sometimes you've got you've to uh, enjoy the fact when somebody knows their lane. He said, that's my lane. That's yeah, what I'm right. going for. <laughs> that's true. That's what he's that's going for. That's a good for. point. All right, I'm out. You got another one or you done? I got one more. It's All out right. of Oklahoma. It's kind of gross. I, I, I don't want to leave you out on a limb being the only gross one for today. So. Gray squirrel lasagna, yes. Ugh, <laughs> disgusting. This yes. one says, courthouse closes after some see bed bugs <laughs> fall from lawyer. <laughs> Which, to have enough bed, but to see, I can't even. Oh, yeah, you win, man. That's bad. I'm gagging even just reading the rest of this story. I don't want to read it to out see loud it for the rest of you. Can you imagine? Like, that would be so unnerving to have to be the one to raise the hand. Like, hey, I don't mean to be rude, um, but I'm out. <laughs> I can't. I'm <laughs> not staying in this room. <laughs> court Golly. That, yeah, court adjourned. That's it. I'm going to end on that note. That's the, la- that's the last uh, one I'm going to share. <laughs> so what we remember from today are bedbug lawyers and gray squirrel lasagna. <laughs> that's going to be the move. Well, man, I'm yeah. going from here. To my daughter, my my fourth grade daughter's choir concert tonight. So right these are the joys you have as your kids get older. I always get such pride. I'm that dad with the camera out, like just taking you great pride. No, I love these things. I love these <laughs> things. So tomorrow I'll give you a report about uh, the fourth grade Downers Grove Choral uh, whatever society's uh, uh, choir concert here in the winter time. So yeah, bring audio, man. We'd love to hear. It. <laughs> bring audio. <laughs> I, we should go there on remote. We should go there on remote. <laughs> Count me in. Well, this has been another fun day with you today out there, Chicagoland. You've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. For Ian Simpkins, I'm Brian Fromm. Have a great night, Chicagoland. Hope to hear you. Hope to see you tomorrow. This is The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.